I want to say thank you so much for coming this morning, and I am really, really excited about this series. And I just want to say that if you are a guest here this morning, I want to just say we are so glad you're here. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. This is going to be a great day. I'm really excited about our new series that we're beginning, and it's called A Work in Progress. All right, so if you're a guest here this morning and you have a home church, stay. If you don't have a home church or you're looking for a home church, immediately following a service, if you would go out to our guest services there, we would be glad to answer any questions you have or help you by giving you any information that we can give you. So in the beginning of the year, we started talking about refresh. You remember we talked about how important it is in our lives that we hit that refresh button. And it can't just happen once in a while. It has to be something that we are regularly aware of. And we have to be aware of it is because if we don't hit that refresh button, we all know that our relationships or anything that we're involved in can grow stale. And that's not what we want to happen. The reason, because the Bible says that you and I are to shine our lights for Jesus Christ. That's how the world will know that you and I belong to him, that our lights would shine and shine bright. So we began by talking about all of the different issues that the churches and individuals have when we don't hit that refresh button. And then we just got finished looking at what it looks like to walk with the one who is the refresher of our soul. And now we're beginning a brand new series called The Work in Progress. And now we're going to talk about what the world is supposed to see in each one of us according to God's word. Now, if I were to ask you to tell me who wrote the book of James, you would probably say, James, James, and you would be right. But if I were to ask you which James wrote this book called James, what would your answer be? You see, here's the thing. There are four Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament. One of them is James the Apostle. Remember that any time Jesus did anything, James was a part of that elite group, right? Remember it was always Peter, James, and John. Whenever Jesus went somewhere and he was going to do something like the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John went with them. But we know that James could not have written this book, the Apostle James, because we know that in Acts chapter 12, he was martyred, right? Remember, Peter and James were thrown into prison, and it pleased the people that James was martyred. Now, there's another James who was also an apostle. Do you know that? Remember, it's James, the son of Altheus. Well, we know that that James couldn't have written this book, and the reason we know that is because, well, James, the son of Altheus, was known as James the Less. But what history tells us, or what theology or theologians or commentators will tell us, is that most people believe that the writer of the book of James was, in fact, James, the brother of Jesus. Now, you know what's interesting about that? He wasn't a believer. 
Do you realize that? Is that here is James, he grows up in the same home with his brother Jesus, and he's not a believer. We know that Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, there were other children that were born to them, right? We know that Jesus has four brothers because it talks about those in the New Testament. One of them, obviously, is James. Another one was a man by the name of Joseph. A third one was the name of a man by the name of Judas, okay? And the fourth one was a man by the name of Simon. Those are the four brothers of Jesus, and we know that he had sisters also. But the Bible tells us that the family of Jesus did not believe that he was the Messiah. Well, I want to just stop there for a second because I think there's something that we can learn from this. You don't know how many times people come to me and they say, my children are walking with the Lord. Pastor, I have family members that have grown up in the church and they are no longer walking with the Lord. And you know what my answer to you is now? Jesus went through the same thing. He had people in his family that did not walk with the Lord and he was the Lord. Do you remember what it was that got James' attention? Remember what started all of this? Well, the Bible tells us, take a look at this. Then he, referring to Jesus, appeared to James, then to the apostles. Ha <laughs> ha, that'll get him, won't it? Jesus appeared to his brother James. And I wonder what James said. You know, I thought there was something different about you. You always took out the trash. Even when mom didn't even ask you, you always knew the things that were supposed to get done. But the Bible tells us that James then believed. Now, I think there's something that we can learn from this too, okay? And here it is. Those same individuals in your lives who are not walking with the Lord, maybe they're family members, what you need to do is you need to, do what, you need to let the Lord do what the Lord's going to do. Now, you're probably thinking, you know what, Pastor Bob, if Jesus came and appeared to my son or my daughter or someone in my family that needs to know about him, you know what, they would believe too. And the Bible says, no, that's not necessarily true. But what the Bible does say is this, is what Jesus was doing in the life of James is he was working. Did you hear that? He was working. And so what I want you to know is that your job, your responsibility for those relatives who may not be walking with the Lord, just simply to remember God is always working in their lives. What our job is to do is to help them to see where God is working. And most of the times when the Lord works, it will be in trials and tribulations and hard times. Do not stop the Lord from doing his work in their lives. Allow him to do it and help them by pointing out to them, see, this is Jesus working in your life. And I know you're going to say to me, is that, but I tell them that and they throw it back in my face. You know what your responsibility is? Is just plant that seed. And they may tell you in their, with their, their lips that, ah, that's a bunch of baloney, but in their heart you have planted a seed. And you don't ever know when that time comes when they may be thinking, I wonder if that's 
Jesus. Now, James had a pretty important job in the church. Did you know that? He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. So he was one of the leaders. Even Peter had to come under his authority a time or two when they were discussing issues about that. But James was someone who was a very, who became a very prominent person in the life of the church. Now, one of the things about James that always amazes me is that when you look in his book, this is how he starts out his book. Listen to it. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that tells me something about James. You know what it tells me? He was a very humble man. Because I think if I were writing that book, I would say, this book is written by Bob, the favorite brother of Jesus, who spent all our time together and taught him how to throw a rock I'm the servant. But James doesn't do that, does he? He just simply says, James, a servant of the Lord. It runs in the family because there's another brother that also wrote a book in the Bible. It was the third brother. His name is Judas, but he's referred to as Jude. Now, the Bible tells us that when James opens up this book, he talks about the true church that is scattered. What in the world does he mean by that? He's talking about not necessarily the 12 tribes of Israel, but what he's talking about is what happened in Acts chapter 12. You remember that it's in Acts chapter 12 that this great persecution rose up and the church was spread all throughout the region. And when James writes this letter, that's who he's writing it to. He's saying, I'm writing to you the true church who are scattered all over this region. Now, James is a very practical book. In the book of James, you're only going to hear the name of Jesus, I think it's twice. The cross, the resurrection, none of that matters, or none of that, I should say, is talked about in the book of James. So what is the book of James about? Here's the theme. Real faith provides real evidence. You need to write that down. Real faith provides real evidence. And from the book of James, here's what we see. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then also in James chapter 2, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know how the rest of the world will know that you belong to Jesus? By the evidence of your faith. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from the book of James, James chapter 1, and I'm just going to read verse 22. Here we go. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, through the power of your spirit that lives in me, Mold me, shape me into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in that name that I pray, 
Amen. You may be seated. So James is a very practical book. In fact, it's kind of like a textbook. And me, being a teacher, when I started out, I love this book. Martin Luther didn't particularly care for this book. And I've already shared with you some of the reasons why. But what I want to know is that the book that we're going to read about, the book of James, what we're going to study in is this is the book that is going to bring about homework in your life. And so at the end of the message today, I'm going to give you some homework, and then we're going to bring it, we're going to talk about it next week, okay? So ears open. Here we go. So when we talk about the book of James, we're talking about a book that is focused on the growing and the mature in Christ of a Christian. In other words, when we're talking about the book of James, here is what we're saying. Growth is expected. Let's say that together. Ready? Growth is expected. I remember when I was growing up, I had two little brothers, Michael and Rick, and they used to follow me everywhere. They were pains in a certain part of my body. (laughs) Sometimes they would always act like little kids, and this is what I would say to them. Michael, Rick, grow up. You ever said that before? Or has anybody said that to you? That's what the book of James is about. You and I are a work in progress, but it is very important that you understand that growth is necessary and growth is expected. Think about when you first had that baby. Remember when that baby was born and you're holding it? You're not planning on holding that baby when it's 22, are you? right? We expect the baby to grow. What are some of the symptoms or the, the, the evidence of growth? Well, they start to, maybe, maybe they start to grow hair, and they begin to get a little bit heavier, and then they start to talk, and then they begin to crawl, and then they begin to walk. But growth is expected, right? If growth doesn't happen, what do we think? We think something must be wrong, right? And so the book of James is here to tell us this, Ladies and gentlemen, growth in the Christian walk is expected, and you should expect it. Now, chapter one that we're about to go through has a theme. Every one of these five chapters has a theme. Remember, we talked about the theme of of James is real faith produces real evidence. But here is what James is going to talk about to us in chapter chapter 1. Here's what it is. Christians should exhibit strength. They should not give up or quit. And this strength will be seen in their patience during trials. Ouch. Right? Man, my toes are so sore this week. But what James is telling us is that the the whole theme of chapter 1 is this. People should see in Christians strength. There are people that don't quit and they don't give up. And the way this is evidenced is in the way that they handle their trials with patience. All right, let's see what happens now. 
I've already been there. Let's go here, okay? Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. All right, now here's what I want you to understand. James is writing this letter, remember? And he's writing this general letter to everybody and anybody, but he knows as he writes this letter that his former parishioners, his former members of his church that have been scattered all over the region will be reading this letter. And he wants them to know, I know you've been scattered over the region, and I know that wherever you may be, you are enduring trials as you try and get used to the place where you're living, as you're adjusting to where you're living. And what we learn from the Scriptures, from the book of Acts, is there's two trials that they were all basically going through, and here's what they were, poverty and persecution. Well, duh. I mean, poverty because they went to a new place, they didn't have jobs. And if they didn't have enough money to bring with them, yeah, poverty was something that they were going to go through. But so was persecution. Everybody makes fun of the new kid, right? And so here we have all of these individuals that are scattered all throughout the region. And James says, I know about your poverty and I know about your persecution. But my dear friends in Christ, James also looks beyond their poverty. He looks beyond their persecution to the trials that you and I go through. He sees the broken relationships. He sees the financial issues. He sees the misbehaved child. He sees the broken husband or wife. He sees the loss of jobs. And that's where he comes. And in this chapter, here's what he tells us. Are you ready? In those trials that you experience, rejoice. Rejoice. Now the question is, is how? How are we supposed to rejoice? And here's what James tells us. As a Christian, you can rejoice in the trials because you know that the trial is bringing about a Christian who is mature and complete. That's how we can rejoice. So whatever it is that we're going through, I can rejoice about it. That doesn't mean I'm happy about it, but I can rejoice about it because I know God is doing a new work in me, and this Christian is going to be stronger when I come out of it than when I went into it, right? You see, God gives you and I trials, and he gives us trials because they push us outside of ourselves. You know why, right? He gives us something bigger than what we can handle so that we have to go to him. So a trial releases me from me. Listen to this very important point. It's not your weakness that separates you from God. It's your delusion of strength that separates you from God. 
You think that you can do it. My daddy told me big boys don't cry. My daddy told me you pull up your pants and you go on through it. No. No. I can't go through it on my own. That's why I have my God. Now, James tells us, and he uses the word patience and perseverance. That's what it brings about. It brings about this patience, this perseverance. You know what he's saying here? He's saying this, that patience, that perseverance means to keep under. Here's what I mean by that. There was a lady who was going through a very difficult time in the church. As she was leaving, the pastor was out there greeting her, and he said, oh, Martha, 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 I'm so sorry for what you're going through. I can't imagine how hard it is. I want you to know I'm praying for your strength, and I'm praying that you'll be able to get through this. And she said, well, I appreciate that, Pastor, but I need you to pray for one more thing. He says, what's that? And she goes, that's this, that the Lord Jesus wouldn't waste this trial, that I would take advantage of this crisis and learn what it is I'm supposed to learn. Boy, that makes us different than the rest of the world, doesn't it? So now James goes on, and now he says this. All right, now, with this trial, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need wisdom. Now, why in the world would I need wisdom to go through the trial? You know, most of the time we ask for knowledge. I want to know why. Why do I have to go through this? Why is this happening? I've done everything right. Why, 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 why? And James says, no, you need to ask for wisdom. And here's why. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the insight that God gives you into his will, his purposes, and his ways. Do you understand what James just said? He has just given us the definition of what wisdom is. No, you don't need to know why. What you need to do is you need to understand what you're asking for, and what you're asking for is wisdom, because wisdom helps you see things from God's perspective and not your own. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective. Now watch this. He goes on, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Oops, went too fast there. Blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. All right, now. So the very first thing that James tells us is this, is that wisdom is known by relationship. Wisdom is known by relationship. It's completely different than knowledge. Knowledge is facts. Knowledge puffs up, the Bible tells us. But wisdom is living life through God's eyes, and the only way you can get wisdom is you have to be in relationship with your heavenly Father. The more you're in relationship with him, the more you look like him. And the more you hang around him, the more you act like him. And that's how you get wisdom from God. All right, now, my dear friends, in this verse, James just tells us there's two things we need to remember. Okay? Here's the first one. Everything you've done in your past, God does not keep score. He doesn't keep score. 
He doesn't hold it against you. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he remembers it no more. He does not keep score. The second thing you need to remember is this. You can go to him because he's the source. Now think about this. Have you ever had a time in your life when your child came to you and they needed your help? Maybe it was financially. Maybe they just needed wisdom. Maybe they had a question, but they came to you. Tell me, please, is the first thing you did is go down a list of 25 things that they did wrong leading up to this point. What's the answer, church? No, of course not. But doesn't it feel good that they came to you? This means yes. I'm telling you, when my kids have come to me for maybe some money or they needed some wisdom or something, you know what? It feels good because I know I'm their sugar daddy. (laughs) But I want them to know they can come to me. And I tell them, but how do they come to you? Mine come to me thinking they're embarrassed. Oh, I hate to ask this. I know I should be able to do this on my own. I don't think about that. All I care about is they're coming to me because they think I can help them. But now James says this. Now you know what you need to remember, but let me tell you what you need to believe. Here's what you need to believe. God knows you're needy. But what you need to believe is he loves to help you anyways. He loves to give you what you need anyways. You know what makes me feel good as a dad? When my kids come to me and say, hey, Dad, you know what, I, man, I, I thought I could do this and I didn't and we're short, can, 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 we borrow some, can we borrow some money? Of course you can, if I have it. Of course you can. And I'm glad to do it. But Dad, I'm so sorry. No, you don't need to be sorry, are you kidding me? This is a joy for me. I love the fact that you can come to me and you know you can come to me. And then the second thing that we need to believe is not only that God meets our needs and loves to do it, but is this, he doesn't throw the fact that you're needy in your face. He wants you to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. So my friends, listen to me very carefully. So what is it then, Pastor Bob, that keeps us from getting wisdom? Are you ready? My desire to be right. My desire to be right. Do you remember in the garden? Remember what happened in the garden? Eve was walking in the garden with Adam, and remember she came upon the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of. And remember what the Bible says about why she took a bite? The first thing it says is that it was pleasing to the eye, right? But do you remember what it said after that? It was perfect for gaining what? Wisdom. She took a bite because it was pleasing, but she wanted to be like God. I want to be right. And God says, 
that's the reason why you don't get what you need from me because you want to take the credit. John Ortberg said this, he said, wisdom runs the best on the rails of submission and obedience. Just think about that for a moment. When you're obedient to God and you submit and yield to his will, he's going to give you that wisdom because he knows you're going to give him the credit. All right, now, now James asks a question. And the question that he asks goes something like this. So what is it, Christian, that's really important to you in your life? I mean, what, what is it really that's important to you? And if it's what you have or what you don't have, he tells us that it's all fleeting. And then he gives us a warning. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do not exchange the eternal for the temporary. Now watch this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives to birth to death. Here's what James is asking. Have you ever asked the question, I wonder if this is really all worth it? Have you? Have you ever asked that question? I wonder if going to church is really all worth it. I wonder if living a moral life, I wonder if not lying and always telling the truth. I mean, here I'm going to church and I could be at home sleeping. I mean, is it really worth this whole, this thing about faith and Jesus and all that kind of, is it really worth it? You know what James says? Uh-huh. He said, it's really worth it. And he tells us two things. Number one, he tells us the reason that it's worth it, Christian, is because every trial you go through makes you stronger. Amen. Every trial you go through changes you more and more in the image of his son. But then he says something else. And the bottom line is this. You want to know why it's worth it? It's worth it because some, something called eternity. My friends, one day, you and I, the Lord is going to come. But right now, do you know what he's doing for you? The Bible tells us he's preparing a place for you. And preparing that place for you means that he knows exactly what you need and what you want. And when he's done, he's going to come for you. But you have to have already made him the Lord and Savior of your life. But you know what? He promises what we have waiting for us. No more pain. No more suffering. No more trials. No more tribulations. No more death. Just joy. Unexplainable. Indescribable joy. And you will spend eternity with your relatives and your brothers and sisters who have called on the name of Jesus. And 10 million years from now, that day will be like the very first day that you got there.
The trees are beautiful. The mountains, the hills, the streams are so clear. The Bible tells us that there will be a feast for us. We will be able to eat and eat and eat, and this food truly has no calories. <laughs> and we'll be with Jesus. The one who gave his life for you. And John, when he book, wrote the book of Revelation, said, there are no words to describe what I have experienced in heaven. And James says, that's why it's worth it. And then he reminds us of our problem. What's the problem? <laughs> it's a heart problem. The problem isn't out there, you guys. The problem's in here. Everybody realize that? You see, this is where all my thoughts come from. From here it goes to here, and now I think thoughts. And those thoughts that I think become actions. Those actions, as I do over time, develop my character, and my character determines my destiny. But for the, but for the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, I would be lost. My favorite two words in the Bible are, but God, because that's the gospel. God doesn't hold your past against you. He's reminding you of all your mistakes. He just wants you to remember what he did for you. All right, we're almost done here. In fact, we're about done. Now he shows us what it's supposed to look like, okay? Ready? <laughs> My dear brothers and sisters, take note this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, here's one I would pull out there. The very first thing that says this is what you will look like if you are a follower or believer of Christ is this. You will be quick to listen. You know what my ears love to hear? My ears love to hear what are the cravings in my heart. You know what that means? My ears love to hear my voice. My ears love to hear me. And so one of the things that James tells us is this. When you are quick to listen, you are putting somebody else ahead of you. And that's what a true believer looks like. And then he goes on, he says, oh, and by the way, you're slow to speak. Can you imagine what our world would be like if we would just think before we say it? It's amazing to me. Social media, the things people put on there, the things people say. And that's what James is talking about. He's saying, be careful how you use your mouth. Words are powerful. They can build up, they can lift up, but oh, they can destroy too. And he says, this is the way you should think about your words. Remember, you are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. So guess what that means? Every word that comes from your mouth ought to be the same words that people would hear from the one you represent. 
And then he goes on and he tells us, and by the way, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. And this is where I want to close, okay? If you're just a hearer of the word, you're a Pharisee. But if you're a doer of the word, now you're a disciple. You see, James tells us that what the world desires to see in us is not just that we come to church and hear the word of God, but that the word of God changes us and transforms us. One of the things that happens a lot is that there are people that come to this church, like any church, and they scrutinize everything I say. And then I will hear about it sometimes on Monday morning. Sometimes they'll sign it, most of the time they don't. And this is what James is talking about. He says, those people that just hear the word of God, boy, they can study it, they can scrutinize, all that kind of stuff. But if they don't become a doer of the word, then James says is that that kind of religion is worthless. All right, now, I've been standing up here looking like an idiot with a mark on my face. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. All y'all did was laugh. I brought a mirror with me because James wants to bring this home by telling us, oh, wow. So James brings this home and he tells it, he goes, let me give you an example that you can all relate to, okay? How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Raise your hand. For those of you that didn't, you should have. Okay? But James says this, do you just go and look in the mirror just to look in the mirror? Can you imagine what life would be like if I went to the mirror every day and I saw this on my face and I didn't do a thing about it? James says, that's what it's like to be a hearer of the word. You see, God's word is a mirror. You realize that? And the mirror shows us our issues. And the reason that the Bible shows us our issues is so that we will do something about them. And so this is what God wants us to do. When we look in the mirror and we see something that needs our attention, he says this, take care of it. Get rid of it. Do whatever you have to do that what you see in the mirror is gone. And then God says, now you're a doer of my word. So when I read God's word and my heart is convicted, God says, it's just like you're looking in a mirror. Now do something about it. When we push that refresh button, we push that refresh button because we want our relationship with our Lord and our relationship with one another, we want it back to where it's supposed to be, where we're loving each other. Now, here's one of the things that I just want to say about the church. As a church, our responsibility is to speak the word in its truth and purity, right? But that's not the only thing. What's the other thing that the Lord tells us to do as a church? 
We're supposed to love one another. And that means love all people. And then James says to us, okay, so here's a couple of examples about what that looks like. Number one, you'll bridle your tongue. That's a subject in two weeks. Pastor Justin gets to talk about that one. And it's going to be a good one too. Because the smallest member of our bodies can create the most problems. All right, so I told you there's going to be some homework, okay? Um, Wayne, where's Wayne? Wayne Huxton, where's it? Wayne, would you come up here, please? And Don Dixon, where's Don? Come on up here, Don. Come on up here, brother. You bet. That's a long ways up there, believe me. Hey, don't worry about Don. I'll walk all the way over here, okay? Oh, you don't, you don't need any help. Okay, all right. Okay. All right, so I selected these two, and I'm going to give them an assignment, okay? And then next week, we're going to find out how they did. All right, so I'm going to give you each something, okay? It's a quick trip card, and it's worth $100, okay? So here's what I would like you to do with it, okay? There's two things you can do with it, okay? All right, here we go. You can use it yourself. You can get other people involved with you. You can add to that if you want to, but I want you to go to Quick Trip. And when you're there, I want you to pray about where God is working. And then when God reveals to you where it is that he's working, I want you to go up to that person. I just simply want you to say this. My name is Wayne, and I've been watching and I wanna ask you if I can pay for your gas. And here's why. The world needs to see what Jesus looks like with skin on it. I would be honored if I could pay for your gas. And that's all you have to do. And then I wanna hear the stories. Don't leave after you pay for the gas. Make sure you stay so you can hear the rest of the story. Will you guys do that for me? I appreciate it. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, sir. All right. Give him a round of applause. Here, I'll help you down, my friend. Those are narrow steps. All right. Now, there may be some of you that want to do this on your own. You know what? God bless you. But I'm giving this assignment because that's what this book is about. The world needs to see we've been to church. We've heard from the Lord Now they have every right to expect that we're going to be different. What does the Bible tell us? It says, remember, real faith has real evidence. Would you please stand with me? Heavenly Father, I've read James 1 many, many times over this week, and there's still so much in there that we could get. But you've made it very clear that as Christians, that the world has a right to expect us to be different. Lord, we all know the sin that entangles us, that lives in each of our hearts. But Lord, we're looking to you because you're the one that gives us wisdom. And so we're coming to you because, Lord, we need you. You're our source. Father, I know that when we walk out of here today, Satan's gonna be ready at the very doors as we leave 
trying to keep us from some of the ideas that your Spirit has put on our hearts already this morning. I just pray that we would remember. Let's look beyond the circumstances here on earth, and let's see what you're doing through your eyes, because we may be the very answer to a prayer, or Father, even a miracle that you've been preparing since the beginning of time. Our promise is this. We'll give you the praise and the glory because you're the one that's right, not me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. Now go serve the Lord. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you next week.